Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and happy Halloween. Yes, it's Halloween night, and I'm not doing a normal horror film. If you want to listen to another more horror film, he talks about then go to another podcast. But tonight, my guest for this watch is Tony Strauss. And if you listen to before, you know when Tony is on the show. We go Hello. We get deep. Yeah. We get deep with Tony. <laughs> Thanks That's for not saying thing. I mean, we've done... No, not pretentious. We actually love the films without pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we like we like to do the weird ones together. Well, not the weird ones. We like the avatar ones, like uh, when we did um, the belly of an architect. Everyone's like, yeah. oh, I know who they keep naming every film but this one. That one. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorites to do on this show. That was a blast. And uh, we did El Topo, and we did performance. El Topo, performance. And tonight we're doing Santa Sangre. Alejandro Jodorowsky's horror film. And I'm going to have a lot of Italian film fans come after me with a machete. The best film that Claudio Argento produced. You're here. I agree. Yeah, even though I'm probably going to get killed by the Dario Argento fans. That's funny! <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just a freaking masterpiece top to bottom, though. Yeah. Any, anybody who out, out there who likes a little something different and beautiful and challenging in, in their horror films and like some genre crossing. If you haven't seen Santa Sangre, try and remedy that because it you're robbing yourself by not watching this movie. And one of the best of the true crime genre too. Yeah, it does. It does cross into the true crime genre. And I'm, I'm sure we can get to that here in a little bit. Yeah, we will. We are plus at the part that says where Claudio Argento presents Space In. So get it set up. Pause the commentary where you get your disc or whatever set up. And get ready to watch greatness with us. And are you ready? I'm ready. And five. Four, three, two, one. Boom. Now, if we were just talking about... the beginning of uh, Dance of Reality, he spends a whole five minutes money and how much he's trapped by it. Yeah. And it was, what, 14 years between films for this one to come out? 
Yeah. Unless you count Tusk, which most fans don't. Yeah. <laughs> Including him. He's not a fan of Tusk at all. And, uh, you know, we were talking a moment ago about Claudio Argento producing this film, and it's interesting because Claudio approached Jodorowsky and said, you know, not not as a complaint, but as saying, I want to produce something that my brother didn't direct um, just because I want to have new experiences as a producer. And he basically gave Jodorowsky a simple outline saying, Write, write a movie for me about a man who kills a lot of women. And that's basically all he had to go on. And, of course, Yodorovsky never does anything simple. And he wrote this beautiful film that is not only about uh, uh, madness and mental illness and acceptance and self-identity, but also has a lot of overtones about the oppression of Mexico by the U.S., um, about parental relationships. I mean, it's just so richly layered. And anyone familiar with Jodorowsky's work knows that he doesn't do anything just by the cuff, even though it could be argued, wouldn't you say, Steve, that this is easily his most plot-driven film of his entire career up to this point? Yeah, oh, it definitely is. It goes from the Holy Mountain where it's uh, well, he even says that at the end of the Holy Mountain, that it is time to go to reality. Right. But I love this. It starts out isolated in the brown, almost colorless, insane asylum cell to this. And almost everything and you see this. in this. Yeah. Almost everything you see here in these exterior shots are real. These are real prostitutes, real citizens. They filmed this movie in a really terrible part of uh, Mexico in, in which the, the, the crew had, or the production had to pay like the local criminal crime lords for protection in order to not be robbed. And every day at the beginning of shooting, everyone would turn their wallets in and any of their valuables that they had on them, and they'd lock them in a safe, which would be protected by criminals um, that had been paid to protect the crew. Otherwise, they, they would have been robbed. Color they been... Right here. Yeah. I mean, That's it's gorgeous. Just, and then... There's no other way to put it. Just color and stuff that you can't see everything that's going on first time you watch it. There's the purple car, his dad with the garage outfit. Yeah. the second half of the story, which was uh, Yoda Warsky with that simple outline was sitting in a cafe and he was like heartbroken because he couldn't come up with an idea. And then all right. of a sudden, this man walked up to him in the cafe and said, I kill people. And Joe Dworsky looked into it, and turns out this guy was a pro-witness serial killer. 
Yep. Who had spent 10 years in prison for murdering. He's like, oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the guy had spent 10 years in prison for murdering a bunch of women. And when he got out, according to the story, he had completely lost the urge to kill and didn't even remember what drove him to kill. I can't remember the guy's name, but he is a true crime story that literally inspired Yodorovsky to come up with this plot. Uh, and right here, lady we're definitely knee-deep into land with the tattooed woman. Yeah. Selma Tixau is fantastic in this movie. She's just got such presence. She was a dancer, and uh, which is what he wanted for the tattooed woman. And he wanted a, a woman who was not small of stature. He wanted her to be big and powerful. And, well, that's what he got. <laughs> and those <laughs> tattoos. Wow. You've never seen tattoo work like this back in 1989. No, you really don't. And, the, the, and there's got, a you know, reason the, the, why, and this movie was compared to Bunyel, there's a reason why Tattoo, the movie with Bruce Dern, was considered such a perverse movie when it came out in the early 80s. Yeah. It was interesting that the, the way he got... Uh, right here, these are real knife throwing shots. Uh, she was absolutely horrified to do this. He had no budget for special effects, so he hired a real knife thrower to to do these shots. And uh, yeah, she was horrified to do them, but fortunately there were no accidents. Of course, that's not really Guy Stockwell throwing the knives. Um, the the story behind Guy Stockwell is kind of interesting because. Yodorovsky wanted an overweight man to play the father in this. And he met with Guy Stockwell and they got along great. And he got really excited and just thought he was perfect. And then when Guy Stockwell arrived on the set, he just started drinking and did not stop. And he became the most belligerent, hard to work with actor that Yodorovsky has, has ever dealt with um and there there were scenes where he would guy stockwell had just decided hey i'm not doing this scene and so yodorovsky would have to bribe him with booze in order to get him to do the things that he had already agreed to do so he ended up really hating working with guy stockwell and uh added to the fact that you know the father figure is a very hated figure in Yodorovsky's life. If you've seen endless poetry and uh, dance of reality, he's, he had a terrible father. And uh, so it just, he just doubly hated both the character and guy Stockwell once he started working with him, but it worked out well because guy Stockwell is unforgettable in this movie. And he admits that he was a terrible father, too. So you could see this as the way that he treated his son in El Topo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's not 
he's he doesn't pull back on his self criticism, which is one of the many things to uh, to make him such an interesting person. And here, this, uh, this, this is the most free he's ever seen. He's uh, ever felt making a film because he didn't have to make a Joe Dewarski film. Yeah. This uh this church right here was completely built for the for the set. There was a there was a swimming pool, so they built this ramshackle church around it. Um, it's pretty impressive when you consider this. According to uh, Claudio Argento, this movie cost four million dollars, but Yodorovsky vehemently said that that is absolutely not true and that this movie actually cost only $800,000 to make. Um, you know, producers yeah. have their own reasons for giving certain budgets. Yeah. And but, uh, uh, what book, you probably know this, and what book's characters did he base this whole church and the woman who's considered the saint on? What are you asking? Who he based them on? Uh, yeah, who he based this whole church and the character of the the saint of the woman who got raped and mutilated on. Who was it? The Ellen James Society from the World According to Garp. From Garp? Oh, wow. That's awesome. I didn't know that, actually. Oh, real quick, I yeah, think it well, should be pointed out here. Here in this shot, um, all of these people here in the red robes, aside from Blanca Guerra, are local blind people. He gathered together all of these followers and hired only blind people. So if you look closely at the crowd here of, of these, of these uh, church members, they're all blind. Um, and, you know, he, he didn't do it for any particular reason other than the he said it felt mysterious and otherworldly. And there's all kinds of little subtle things in this film that Yodorovsky being Yodorovsky just does for the reason of, well, it looks strange or unnerving or it makes you feel strange. But anyway, uh, sorry to interrupt. Go back to what you were saying about the Ellen Jamesians. Yeah, if you read the book, more the book than the garb, and the movie garb, the Ellen James Society was uh, this group who built herself around this woman who was raped and her tongue was cut out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with Garp, but I didn't know that that's where Yodorovsky got his inspiration for this mythology. That's awesome. Yeah. He took it to a Yodorovsky extreme... Of course. That's what we love about him. <laughs> but I love this movie because he goes to Joe Dewarski extremes about being extreme. Yeah. I don't think it, if he hadn't made this film, he couldn't have made his biographical film. I completely agree. This This kind of started him off on a new career path. And he doesn't have a lot of feature films under his belt, but there's definitely a trajectory. 
they're so simple, but man, I love the ropes here. here. Yeah. With the crossed arms, that is just such a powerful image. And here, of course, we have part of his condemnation of Catholicism, where, you know, she, being a person of faith, shows the Monsignor what they believe, how they worship. And, of course, it's not in line with Catholicism, so he condemns her and calls her a crazy woman. Pretty little boy in tow in the white suit. Yeah, and that is literally the translation of the title. Holy blood, Santa Sangre. Yes. Now, and I love the title of this movie. Yeah, me too. Because even if you know the transition, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the translation, <laughs> it's still a mystery until it's explained to you. Yes, exactly. It definitely does carry multiple meanings within the film with regards to family lineage and things like that and and uh, family relation. And these lines yep. from the Pope, that is what people have criticized his other, other movies, if you remember. Especially the riot yep. in Fondo Elise, you know. Yes. You know, this was the first... <laughs> this was the first Yodorovsky film that I ever saw and I I was fortunate enough to see it in the theater but I I uh had read um about I learned who Yodorovsky was after reading uh by Hoberman and Rosenbaum called Midnight Movies and I learned who Yodorovsky and was and I became so What's that? Danny Perry. Oh, yeah. That's right. It was in the Danny Perry cult films book, too, or cult movies. Um, yeah. But uh, but so, and I had stumbled across in a used bookstore the El Topo book. So I had read about El Topo and the Holy Mountain. I had read the script uh, in the book for El Topo, but I had never been able to find copies of the movies. And when I was, let's see, 18 years old, um, yeah. I I had taken a trip with my friend back east to visit some friends in Connecticut, and we made a special three-day trip to New York City because we wanted to see Santa Sangre so bad. So we took a bus to New York City, and we got to see Santa Sangre in the theater the last two nights it was playing in New York City. Now, when this movie came out, it got almost no U.S. release. It was playing in Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York, and that's it. And, and it got crazy reviews across the board. It was on both Disco and Ebert, and a lot of the highly respected critics' top ten list. Yep, and it just couldn't get theatrical play anywhere here. It was a tragedy. And uh, I saw it. Well, one of the reasons is we're watching, if you're watching the blue, well, any home print, we're watching the uncut version of it. 
So right. I have never seen it. I just know that an R cut exists. <laughs> yeah, and the the R cut is I've I've seen it. I saw it on Laserdisc years and years ago, and it's it's the the differences are so minor. There's just like a second or two of of blood cut here and there throughout the movie. Um, it was it was really piddly little cuts that really weren't worth making. Yeah, from what I heard, one of the biggest things I had trouble with was uh, the phallic scene, scene with uh, the knife. So she made that scene dirtier than yeah. It was yeah. You're talking about the scene with the victim. No, the scene earlier with the, where we're introduced to the tattooed woman where she's like, oh, uh, oh, yeah. between her legs and looking on the knife. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think the knife between the leg shot was actually cut out of the R cut. But I think it's for the best the fact that you really can't find the R cut anymore. This film has fortunately been embraced and found a, a following on home video and now. Only the uncut version will do for anyone. That's because of access. That, and we <laughs> didn't know back then, and we discussed it on the Otopo, that most of the time you're like, motherfucker, producer, keeping the fucking film from being out. When the full story of this came out, why El Topo and the Holy Mountain was so hard to see, you're like, you dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I got to see I it was it was so weird. It uh I uh got to see El Topa and the Holy Mountain shortly after I had seen this and I was at a, a party when I was in college. I was at a party and I met this random weird guy named Morgan who was dancing around alone at the middle of this party, just boogieing down. And I was sitting there and he came and sat next to me and we kind of just struck up a conversation. He asked me out of the blue if I'd ever heard of a movie called El Topo. And uh, I'm like, yeah, El Topo and the Holy Mountain are two movies I'm dying to see. And he goes, well, I've got them in my backpack. And you know, he had two bootleg copies in his back, uh, bootleg copy of each movie in his backpack. Cause at this time there was absolutely no release for either of these films. And so mm-hmm. we left the party so we could go over to my house and dub me copies of both El Topo and the Holy mountain. So I, I was just so fortunate to be able to finally see those after, you know, reading about them and obsessing over them for a couple of years up to that point. Yeah. I love this all just kind of fell into so place. so angry and all that. And Guy Stockwell gives a shit. Yeah. He may have been a hard time, but God damn, does he give a great performance. I mean, yeah, I had to fire so creepy, the whole deal. But over. person recently, he was a fucking gimlet, but. When he was gold, he was fucking gold. And it's those moments of gold that you leave, you know? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, that's what that's what lasts. That's what lingers are those memories of just that pure gold. And I mean, this you know, Guy Stockwell's put been in a lot of really fun movies, but this is what I will always forever remember him is at the end of his career being in this just incredible masterpiece of a film. And if you really look at it, you don't look at it as hurt being angry. You look at it as them being a top and a bottom pose. Yeah. <laughs> Clown shoes everybody away so can have sex. This is one of uh, Joe Dawarski's weirdest obsessions. Elephants? The elephant. Yeah, elephants. Yeah. I mean, his love of elephants was what convinced him to do the movie Tusk, even though he doesn't like it. It was, that's what drew him to it and made him agree to do that work for hire. And I love the fact that he doesn't get it. He thinks his mother's in pain and it's horrible. Yeah. Childhood trauma. And Yodorovsky is fond of telling everyone. In this scene, the elephant recommends innocence, you know. Yeah. The the whole thing of the elephant dying does not show up until after he's seen Yeah. Yeah, and it's the death because of his, his innocence. His first girlfriend, and he's beginning to realize that sex exists. Yep. And it's a very bizarre, but very powerful coming of age story as well for all of these people. Yeah. And this is and the now, silent movie. I think there's less. This is the least amount of dialogue in any of his movies. It really does, yeah. I mean, he has a tendency to fill his films prior to this with dialogue and narration and philosophical explanations. But this one, he just lets the visuals be what they are. In the... uh, In the... uh, scenes here where the elephant's dying what they what they did to keep the elephant here calm and to keep it from getting up and walking away is they got an elephant that loved honey and so they made blood out of honey and just kept giving it to the elephant and it just stayed there as long as they needed it to so he he said he's he said that uh you know if you want to get an elephant to act find one that loves honey <laughs> And I love this, that everything is black. Yeah. The grayscale of this. And that's, even the black and white American flag. Yeah. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> and just what a strange, surreal, beautiful thing to see this somber funeral for an elephant. It just... That's pure Yodorovsky right there. 
that he has this shows his love of life, not obsession with death. Yeah. Like, what happens here? Was he throws the elephant into the pit? Most people are horrified. Oh my God, that was horrible! They tore the elephant apart. No, it shows that even in death, the elephant gives and supports life. Yep. I mean, that's that's just basic Lion King stuff right there. The circle of life, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, all of these extras right here in this shantytown were real residents of this shantytown, and he couldn't afford to pay them. But what he did was said, make your clothes dirty, show up for this scene, and I will give you free meat to take home and cook. So what you're seeing on screen is basically – a one-take situation where he, they drop the elephant coffin into the ravine and all of these people from the shantytown cheer and slide down and now they're receiving now they're receiving the meat that Yodorovsky promised them. And so this was all just basically very lightly planned out and he just filmed what he got and it ended up being such a bizarre and surreal scene where they tear into this coffin rip the dead elephant apart and take it home to feed their families. Yeah. This is the first time I think Yodorowsky trusts in his visuals. Trust in what? Yeah, absolutely. And he has such a great instinct for this kind of thing and part i think part of his lifelong study of human behavior both psychological and spiritual kind of service him very well as an artist for strange moments like this where comes up with an an idea so bizarre you can barely describe it and then he plays it out visually and it's just magical Oh, and uh, yep. this viewing is dedicated to guestship of KHF. So the first time I I really got to meet her and talk to her, Tony, she was uh-huh. wearing the mute girl dress as costume. The one from the end was her in white. Oh, amazing. And the fact that I didn't get it. I was like, these look familiar. And I was like, one day I was like, you know, my pastor was like, this looks familiar. And I went up and asked her. And I was like, where did you get this from? And and she said, said, oh, William, you showed me a Santa Sangre a couple weeks ago. You heard of it? And that was my, you're a dumbass, one of my bigger, you're a dumbass moments. <laughs> 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 They're married now, but I can remember coming to them on the last day. And she was also dressed as uh, Laura Palmer in plastic. And I went up oh, to William, nice. and I don't know if he's ever told Jessica, and I said, if you let this one go, I will personally kick your ass. Right. 
And here we have more of the uh, coming-of-age cycle where the father passes on the tattoo that makes the boy a man. Wayne's only shown one time barely is that his father gave him this tattoo. Yes. And he gives it to his son. And, of course, the eagle symbolism in this film is very strong and very prominent, not only because it is a symbol of both Mexico and America. Well, it's not an eagle. What's the character's name? Phoenix, the phoenix. Um, yeah, phoenix. To rise rise yeah. from the ashes. Yeah. yeah. And it also represents freedom of spirit and eternal life, once again going back to the cycle of life. Yeah, and in case yeah. you're wondering, people, even maybe not, people are like, oh, my God, he's torturing him. And we didn't have those fancy guns until maybe around 95 or so. Yeah. And the way they shot that scene was uh, Yodorovsky, at, uh, his son here, who's playing young Fenix, this is Aiden Yodorovsky, he asked him, he said, okay, do you want to pretend to cry or do you want to be in pain so you really cry? And Aiden told his dad, he said, pinch me so I cry. So Yodorovsky sat on the floor during that scene where they were doing the close-ups on Aiden's face and he just pinched him and Aiden let himself cry. And But that was that was the choice that he didn't want to pretend. He wanted to really do it. So... Even off-screen, there's this kind of father and son interaction of pain and tenderness at the same time. Plus, it has the sweetest moment by young Stockwell character. See? Just like me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And I love what she does. Yeah. That has to be hard to do an entire performance and not saying an entire word. But everything you say comes across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we should point out how important mime was to this film as well. Um, years before it actually went before the cameras, um, you know, uh, Yodorovsky had asked his son Axel to play Phoenix as an adult and in order to do this he had to study he had to become an understudy under Marcel Marceau for three years to learn how to mine um Yodorovsky had a long history of working with Marcel Marceau they were good friends and Yodorovsky had written some mime routines for him including an award-winning one about the circle of life which you get to see later on in the film and so Axel studied under Marcel Marceau for three years just to prepare for this one role. And he also made uh, other actors study mime routines in order to get the body movements just right, including that one gesture that young Alma just did with the bird flying away. And And that to me is one of the biggest things that is in 
the 4K box set and the Anchor Bay DVD set. And it could have had the what? El Cravate. The oh, yes. Yeah. La Cravate. Short that he did the, uh, completely in mind. Yep. The, what, is, what was the original thing? Uh, the Exchanging Heads? It was a very famous mime routine in the 50s. And that actually yeah. is in the that actually is in the Blu-ray box set I just found as a supplemental feature on one of the discs. I was worried that it wouldn't be included in it, but it actually is. So that made me very happy yeah, that they because, ported that uh, over to the new Blu-ray set. Yeah. Because otherwise the box set doesn't have anything that isn't easy to get. I mean, the, right. well, the first series of Blu-rays. Right. This movie has so much uh, perspective from high from high up too. There's a lot of like this is one example of Concha being happy when she's on the ground, but when she's lifted to another perspective and she turns around, what does she see? Is betrayal by her husband. He's over there messing with the tattooed woman. And it really goes into another aspect of the whole cutting the arms off thing of the thing. Which is yesterday's Yes. And this has got one of the most brutal forms of castration I've ever seen in this movie. And it's not that violent. It could. No. If he would have gone full Joe Dworsky, it could have, you know. Yeah, he could have taken it a lot farther than he did. Yeah. And his mother is uh, named Concha, which has a dual meaning, of course. Is It's Spanish for conch shell, but it's also Spanish slang for vagina. Mm. So here's where the mom officially... Yep. And he chose that particular image because it's reminiscent of both the American eagle symbol and the Mexican eagle symbol. And part of, like I said earlier, part of his uh, commentary in this film is on the way Mexico is historically subjugated by America. Well, one of the first lines describing his father is that his father stays in Mexico because he killed a woman in the U.S. Right. And so he comes to make a living in in Mexico. Term, uh... Well, the, the bit from Go to Work, yeah, I've heard you the A.G. Lewis thing, which goes into why the hell do they have a bottle of hydrochloric acid? There's a thing right. in H.G. Uh, uh, Lewis film where filming it, 
Well, Dan- it's in Daniel Kramer's book, which will cost you a shitload nowadays. You can even find it. I've never well, read that one. Someone asked him, he's like, you know, why do you? He said, Lewis, he said, why? He said, in each one of the scenes, uh, the liquor bottle, I think it was a taste of blood, is at a different level. And it's the same scene. And Lewis thinks about it, and he looks at it, and he says, if people worry about the first castration, second castration. But he says, if people worry about that, then we don't have a picture. Right. And I've already lost them. Yeah, this is this is a yeah. scene that uh, Yodorovsky said the guy Stockwell, when it came time to do it, he refused to get naked. And, oh, brutal arm shot. Be- beautifully shot, but, oh, that's so brutal. But um, guy Stockwell refused to get naked when it came time at came time to do it, so Yodorovsky had to give him two full bottles of tequila to convince him to do it. So, Guy Stockwell is drunk as a Well, you know, blood. You know, just pouring out of there. Yeah. And this goes, and what scene does this go back? Death of the General and El Topo. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And it's so beautiful. It is, with the music and the... Yeah, and that title is a a sort of an insult, too. Because gringo translated means stupid white... Yes. So it's the circus of the dumb white boy. Yep. Circus del Gringo. That's hilarious. Again, if you need dogs to lick up blood on screen, Yodorovsky recommends honey. I've got the subtitles on. It doesn't even translate. The song is, is about, you know, loss of innocence and the loss of youth. This is such a beautiful story transition here as young Fenix is trapped after his mother's been had her arms cut off and his dad committed suicide in front of him. And, yeah, and he's losing the only thing that he loves. Yeah. Elegant Oracle. The great Oracle. <laughs> this thing breaks your heart. It really does. Like it's I said, so he tragic. could have really focused on the gore, the violence, like he did in El Topo and Holy Mountain, but he went for the emotional pull, and it worked perfectly. And now, years later, I mean, we are to present day. The Holy Mountain is my favorite. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it's hard not to. Joe DeWorst think that too. is. But this yeah, one it's hard not to see that as his masterpiece. Movie. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense to me. 
This is definitely his most yeah. accomplished, most successful, accessible film. But the Holy Mountain was a was just a pure piece of magic, you know, with all the flaws it may have. It's there's there's just never going to be another movie like it. And like I said at the end of. Uh... Uh, the Holy Mountain, he talks about it is time for us to go to a scarier pace, reality. And this whole movie is based in reality. Yes. It is, aside from the from the uh, occasional dream sequence, it's it's yeah. a pure reality-based storyline. And Joe Dawarski loves, I love this one because it shows the disabled normal, you know. Yeah. They're ha- they got romance and all that. And just love and They're compassion and happiness. Fuck you. Well, I've been disabled <laughs> my whole life, so anything that shows us, you know. That's why I love that line in Tropic Thunder so much. Which one? Which is, you can be retard, but all retard. Oh, yeah. Ask Sean Penn. (laughs) Uh, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, it's supposed to be funny, but it's the truth. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I I just love this scene because it's just so full of love and tenderness and compassion in this film that otherwise takes place in such a cruel world. And there's this place of isolation where yeah. Fennec lives. And there's a big difference between me and the guys that he's talking to. He's like, I will show it. I will show you something. Oh, in case you're wondering, that's how around Wings Chop were before I got a little bit too sick and we could work for him. Brian Harris, the editor in chief, is really how he really dressed and acts around the Wings Chop offices, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Always carrying around his boom box. Yeah. Plying people with co plying people with cocaine to get him to do what he wants. <laughs> now this right here is uh the scene that makes this a very hard movie for Yodorovsky to watch because this pimp is played by his son Teo who died a few years after this movie and uh it it you know fills him with a lot of sadness seeing his son like this even though yeah. you know there's a part of him that he says you know he he appreciates seeing yeah. his son full of life and and the beautiful son that he and had all I gotta but... say is he's trying to say that <laughs> cocaine and going out and getting some booty is better than a movie 
No, 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 no. <laughs> I would fight him on that. Fuck you. Movies are no. everything. <laughs> yes. If the coolie has his life. <laughs> I do just love this, how it, for no reason, it becomes a musical scene. You know. Yeah, it's so bizarrely funny. is dancing, you know. Yeah. Down the streets, decorated for Dias de los Muertes. Yeah, and the song and even that it's the... playing is Mambo Number no. 8 from Chris Prada. And I love that bit yes. right there. You know, yeah. He just knocks the guy down, and the guy goes down musically. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah, he's just out. <laughs> and then he gets robbed. And I love this. Yeah. And that really shows how dangerous it was in that area they were filming, you know. Yeah. yeah Instead of helping me, he's like, fuck you, I'm going for his wallet. Yeah. And then again, there's all... another one of uh, you're the water ski's passion. The fat prostitute? Seek, seek women. Yeah, big, thick. Yes. This is Mary Aranza. How much for the five pendejos? (laughs) (laughs) Once again, you know, as bizarre and politically incorrect as it is, even this little moment here is a, once again, a coming of age teeth. For, for this if you look who, at those guys, if you look at those guys, this is not their first time doing this. You know? <laughs> I mean, I love it. He thinks he's being a badass. He's like, yeah, I'm giving him cocaine. I'm giving him pussy. Yeah, they never done anything like this before. And if you see how they act, they're like, no, this ain't our first. <laughs> Like this happens for him, every time they go this, out to the I movies. think this is his first time outside. Yeah. And now... Oh, shit. He has the memory trigger when he sees the tattooed woman dancing with the pimp. Yeah. And it all oh, comes Dale, flooding back to him. He all this shit. He's like, you caused all this shit. Yeah. Because if you notice, this murder, and this is when it starts going into slasher territory. Yeah, exactly. Has nothing to do with his mother being his hand. He claims this one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we should also point out that this doctor here is another one of Yodorovsky's sons. That's, uh, what is it, Brontis. He's got a lot of children. (laughs) Oh yeah, we had a good time last night (laughs) Yeah, I love that Did you have a good time last night? No, the wonder just (laughs) Yeah, motherfucker Stupid motherfucker (laughs) I love the fact that Who's the dumbass in this scene? 
the doctor. The normal doctor. Naive and blind. And this whole happiness was subterfuge. No, he is happy because he gets, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to wait and find this bitch. <laughs> well, I guess what I meant is he's he's got a different plan here. He's He's yeah. got his escape ready. Once again, and here's what's funny. Physical... I have seen horror fans and Joe Daworski fans try to say, oh, this is not a horror film. Well, it's absolutely a horror film. Yeah. The thing I've never understood about my fellow fans. Way everything's like, got to be so black or white. They embrace the movies like this, but they're like, "Oh no, this is not a horror film." Eighty nine in to the in the early nineties are a weird period because you will see films like Santa Sangre, Violence of the Lambs, Misery, but they're not horror uh-huh. films. Oh, yeah, I, I, walking into the I fog. Yeah, to the beautiful music, reunited with his mother, his armless mother. Well, he's reunited <laughs> with his anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and his trauma. We're trying to not, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie before and you're listening to this, stop. It's probably. Probably not a good idea. Yeah, stop it now. Go watch this movie and then listen to us. <laughs> I love how he's made making bu- fun of the macho Mexican shit. Yeah. The machismo of the culture. Yeah, the machismo. The pimp, the pimp earned 20 bucks last night. Look at him now. He's got a new suit. <laughs> He's El Pachuco. No, he's being El Pachuco now with the zoot suit, the feather. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't argue with him about the zoot suit. The zoot suits are awesome. <laughs> yeah. I own two of them myself. And now this once featured circus performer is just an angry prostitute. And somewhat of a pimp herself. Yeah. In case you're wondering who this big giant motherfucker is, is that if you watch wrestling, he was elegante. They, uh, Turner brought him in to play basketball, but guess what? He couldn't play basketball. So he's like, what the hell are we going to do with this guy? We paid him a shitload of money. 
<laughs> so they tried to transfer him over to wrestling in WCW, and he couldn't wrestle, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, a man of few talents, but very much st- and very large stature. Oh, I mean, but, you know, wrestling, he has the look. Yeah, totally. But that's all he had, you know? Yep. <laughs> and this movie is just so perfectly paced in the transition you know, he could have storyline. said, just go in and focus. And he's just, you know, rocking her like a baby. Yeah, get that bottle. Boom. Well, look how he's so getting hit in the head with that bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we got oh, the music the... again. Yep. And Alma escaped now her imprisonment. Now she's in land. Yeah. She escaped her, her imprisonment the same day Phoenix did. Their destinies are tied together forever, even though they haven't seen each other I in years. This. I love this, the skeletons and stuff. Oh, here we go. And do you remember the thing that he's referencing here from the Holy Mountain? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, this comes from the scene in the Holy Mountain where he has the old man offering his eye to her. Well, what do we have here? He offers her his ear. Yodorovsky has often said that this is one of his favorite moments in the movie. And when people ask him why and why he did it and what it means, he's like, I I don't know what it means. It's just bizarre and creepy and unexplainable. And that's what I love about it. And And this goes back to what I was talking about. You know, if people were not like, well, what the fuck does it mean? He wouldn't have had a picture. Yeah, exactly. We don't and watch he, weird he, shit to understand it. We watch weird shit because it's weird. Yeah, I mean, to experience it and to have the act, the reactions and the visceral experience. Isn't doesn't have to be. Sometimes art oh, there's is even art. a moment. Yeah, there's even a moment on the commentary for this on this Severin disc, where you know the uh, the moderator. Now, it's it's a good commentary, and I would recommend that people listen to it. But as far as Yodorovsky commentaries go, it's a lesser one because it's it's best if you don't give Yodorovsky a moderator. You just need to let him ramble. Because he doesn't respond well to questions. He he likes to explain things in his own way. But there's one moment where the, the media moderator asks him, he keeps asking him, why did you choose to do this? Why did you choose to that to do that? And Yodorovsky just goes, why, why? Every question you have is why. I hate the question why. Because that's why. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck you. That's why. Yeah. 
he's just operating entirely on instinct and imagination. And it and this is the only really gory, brutal death in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, you know this. This was cut down the most in the R-rated cut. Like these these moments where the sawing into the skin, things like that. It, that was cut out of the yeah. R-rated cut, and you mostly just saw blood splashing splashing on the walls. But this is straight out of Psycho right here. I think it was uh, I think it was Interspheria too. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, when Roger Ebert described this film when he uh, wrote his review of it in 89, he and they ended up quoting it on the American release posters. It, he said it plays like a Boonwellian remake of Psycho. And I think that's a pretty apt comparison. Yeah, but that always kind of pissed me off, too. Well, it's just, it's it's only one element of it. You're ruining, you know... No, it's like, you're giving away the fucking ending. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Totally agree with that, yeah. It is, there's a spoiler right there in that description. Yeah. And I love all these skeletons. It, it's like, the, you know. The you aftermath know of a party is like... It's like the aftermath of war. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) The devil! (laughs) The devil got him. You know. Comes home to find out she no longer has a home. I love her reaction. It's one part horror and one part thank God, you know. Yeah. She's been released from her captivity. But it's 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 an ugly it's an ugly release until she's reunited with Phoenix. Do love the fact that if they didn't have this picture right here, you wouldn't know who she was. Right. Exactly. And And the fact that we as an audience didn't know who he was until this thing right here. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's played in to where you, you... You get it because, you know, at the beginning they say his name and then he flashes back. But it's just so beautifully tied together visually with these motifs. You know, he's once again wearing wearing the costume he wore as a child. And now he reunites with Aladdin, his best friend from childhood. It just, oh, it, the, the pieces move around in this puzzle so beautifully and they fit together so well. That's why, you know, yeah. it's definitely Yodorovsky's most accomplished film story-wise and dramatically. Yeah. He doesn't waste a single shot or a single moment with bullshit yeah. in this film. And I do love that the little guy's called Aladdin, because what was the title of uh, the Bowie album? I'm trying to think of it, but I don't get it. 
Which album? Oh, Aladdin Sane. Oh, Aladdin Sane, the Bowie album. Okay, yeah. Yeah, which can be read as Aladdin Sane. Exactly. Now this is the uh, this is the piece that uh, Yodorovsky wrote this mime piece for Marcel Marceau that Marceau won awards for, but now it's being performed with two people, one body, one for the body, one for the arms. Yeah, and I do love that. There's some people I read, I've seen online like. Well, that scene was dumb because you could tell that it was him. You know. <laughs> you know. Uh, that's... <laughs> okay, if it's dumb to reveal the plot to the audience as they're watching the film. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is the introduction of the destructive codependent relationship that Fenix has with his mother slash with his anger with his rage and his trauma. This is introducing you to that world. And again, you know, the Bridget Bardot film and God created woman. Yes. Original sin. And now he's taken this sideshow environment and is performing now, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you watch this movie, having seen it all the way to the end, and you rewatch it and see how much of what you were following is actually taking place within the madness of the main character. It's fascinating, the, uh, the bait and switch that, that yeah. Yodorovsky pulls off so skillfully. And what was the studio, and who, what was the name of the studio that put out Hitchcock Psycho Universal 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 Sin Yeah And then you're I love how like you're watching this beautiful mime scene and then their act finishes and the glamour is is revealed as uh, false. You know, now what happens is basically it's a, it's a, it's a kitty show that comes up next with a heroin addicted prostitute doing the next act, which we're about to see. It's actually quite hilarious. The, the base of mucho scene. Yeah. Blanca. Which means nothing. Blank or white. Yeah, blank or nothing, you know. Yeah. Which happens to also be the lead actress's first name. Blanca Guerra. That's who plays uh, Fenix's mom. Yeah. And if you know your vaudeville, you know, yeah. And here we have Fenix under the power of his mother 
That's healing, amazing. coping with his own, coping with his own lust and loss of innocence. Which, once again, in this film, once once Fenix is an adult, these things trigger violence. People die when he starts having these feelings. Yeah. It's like I said, the song that explains it all is the only thing in this movie that's in Spanish that's not subtitled. Yeah, it would be kind of nice to have the lyrics to these songs translated in the subtitles. But I still think the mood comes across very well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But that, that takes it back to what you said at the beginning, you know, how so much of this film is, is basically a silent film. It's all so very visual and it doesn't rely on verbal explanations. Yeah. It would have been, you know, it would have been taken it out of the realm of realism to completely remove the dialogue, but it doesn't rely on the dialogue. It's so much about yeah. the visual storytelling, which of course ties into mime once again, yeah. where speech is forbidden in order to express oneself. Yeah. Well, you know, Gian Padaro un niño, who can kill a child? Yeah. You remember what was the biggest fight that the director had with the producers? No, I actually don't know much about the behind the scenes on that film at all. Well, he did not. There's one thing that he didn't want to have in the movie, and that's English subtitles. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that was one of the biggest points in the movie, you know, that nobody could communicate with anybody. Right, exactly. So that was that was a big point of contention between him and the producer. Phoenix looks right here. Yep. Even painted his hair and taken on his father's image. And his mother's image. Yes. And there's yeah, another the one of Jodorowsky's thick women. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I do love that nowadays that thick women has become an accepted fetish. Yes. About time. <laughs> yeah. And once again, we're back to the motif of the knife as phallus for the sexually impotent. Yeah. Which is what I'm sorry, which the is first what woman could. Yeah. The tattooed woman was a hell of a lot better at making the knife into a phallic symbol than she is. Yeah. Well, you know, give her a break. She's addicted to heroin. (laughs) I know. It's how you sell it, you know. Yeah. 
oh, he definitely is his father in this. Yeah. Even though beneath those gloves, he's wearing his mother's hands, even right now. Right now. I love the fact that we have just passed the scene where, like, why did his mother act that way when Guy Stockwell's character did that with the knife? And it's so casually explained. I will hypnotize you. Wait. Yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> this is not a one one shot and done movie. No, it is not. It's, it definitely demands multiple viewings because it is so richly layered and so self-referential and so uh, so full of misdirection. Well, You're really is, not just. It's just yeah. It's just that. See, look, right here. Go to war Yeah. Trust in your intelligence, you know. Yeah. How hard is it to find movies that trust in your intelligence, you know? It's way harder than it should be. So many yeah. so many filmmakers and just the tradition of, of playing down to the audience to the lowest common denominator instead of trusting in the audience to be intelligent and pay attention. It's it's kind of a sad state of affairs. But you really get the best out of the medium when the filmmaker respects the audience and expects them to pay attention and go through the experience rather than just explaining it all and holding their hands and delivering everything on a silver platter for them. It really lessens the experience of a film when it's over-explained like that. It's all about having respect for your audience. Yeah, the talks about this in the commentary, doesn't he? Remember he goes, he ran into this man who said, you did not treat us like we're stupid, thank you. (laughs) You know Yeah (laughs) People appreciate it I know I certainly do My favorite movies are the ones that That encourage you to pay attention And make you reassess everything you've seen Once it's over And it's truly the full experience That's why You know That's why You and I have so much fun Doing these types of movies together on your show Is because you and I feed off of stuff like this. I mean, yeah, we like, we, we, we both have appreciation and love for lowest, lowest common denominator schlock. And we occasionally like the, the odd Hollywood bus blockbuster, but these are the movies that really fire your brain and your soul. This is, this yeah. is pure cinema. And this is the best. It's best like of it. uh, Reffin's only God forgives. It's the first two words at the end at that start out the end credit that really made me go, oh yeah, and made me love this film, love the film so mm. much, and that is right. to Jodorowsky. Yep. And I love this thing because of how much it tells. People are like, what? What does this mean? This is weird. 
you know. This is actually a fairly straightforward symbolism of what this movie's about. What I mean is all the ghosts that show up, you know. Yeah. And you can't tell me that this wasn't. Like in Psycho, where they spend the last five minutes explaining what's going on. He doesn't. Right. You know, it's like, what does all these ghosts mean? That he's killed a lot of mother fathers before, you know? (laughs) Yep. And you can't tell me that this scene wasn't an inspiration for that horse dream sequence in Rob Zombie's Halloween, too. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that was like almost a direct homage nod to it. And, uh, well, you remember Twin Peaks, too. Oh, yeah, with the white horse visions. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that he just shows the light. You know, there's just a light in there. Mm hmm. And then the soul in the form and of a goose. El Tole. Tole. Isn't that one of the guy who did Possessions movies? And right El here, Tole? Don't die. Don't die. And he shows yeah. the elephant, and you're like, oh, that's what that means. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't. You know? <laughs> There's a triple meaning to that. He don't want his soul to die. And he's telling you something. Like, you know, don't die. And then it shows his mother. Wake up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't atone with your sins of nightmares. I love this scene right here where where she's talking and his hands are gesturing for her. It's so beautifully done. This is just one yeah. of the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant depictions of of his son's miming skills. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I said, why are you doing this on Halloween? You need to broaden your horizons of what a horror film is. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Eyes of Fire, The Witch. When the I lighthouse. Well, The Witch. I've seen this with a friend of mine accidentally. I didn't know he was there. And uh, when we recognized each other, the first thing we said was, how the fuck did we see this at a theater? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. We were like, what the fuck? How did we see? I love this here because he allows you, even though, even though Axel is fully in view, you so quickly and easily forget that those are his hands. The the performance here is just so perfectly done. Right there, the invisible man. Which is 
who he most strongly identifies with now. All he wants to be is invisible. He's so Without dominated by his nothing. mother and, me and his nothing. rage. And again, once you've once you've made it to the end of the film, you realize that he has taken the mythology of his mother's religious fanaticism, his own guilt for her death, and the loss of his innocence, and created himself this horrible psychological prison that causes him to kill. Well, it just showed it. You know, it's like you're focusing on them walking that you don't notice that dummy in the background. Right. The saint of her church. Terror where she taps his head. Oh, man. Just, again, the, the performance here in this scene just fascinates me. Yeah. And that's not the dummy I was talking about. Because if you notice, <laughs> he has her play the dummy that's in the other, you know. The later scene? This, this is really reminds me of Holy Mountain, too, this, this dream sequence, this hallucination he has. Yeah. Right here, yeah. And look how sexual he's acting right there, you know. Mm-hmm. And then she scolds him for having a hallucination. <laughs> That's another thing I love about Yodorovsky is he's able to add these little bizarre, surreal, absurdist jokes and moments of humor even in these in the darkest of times in his films. Yeah, and you're not thinking those obvious questions. Not at all. One, how the fuck does she know that he's hallucinating? And how the right. fuck does she know what he's hallucinating? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and look... The house is so beautiful right now. And about 30 seconds ago, the damn place was a ruin. Mm-hmm. Oh, no jury will convict me. <laughs> really, that's what it says. No jury will convict me. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And this is a very important scene that's that's echoed at the end, of course. Yeah. But really, he's... Yodorowsky is telling so much about saying the damn thing. I mean, if they showed mm-hmm. this, the sense, if we knew what the hell this song was, how much of the movie, <laughs> you know, why would we want to watch the last 20 or so minutes? You know. Right. He's he's really foreshadowing so much. Like you said, he's telling you. And you, you don't even realize it. It's it's beautiful misdirection. And without yeah. Without being without being the traditional kind of misdirection. Like this. 
That always disturbed me, those dead mice in that cage. Yeah, I'm the invisible. Well, look at the house now. It's a ruin. Yeah, and it's you get these moments where you realize that, you know, you're seeing two perspectives. You're seeing little glimpses of reality of what his world really looks like, and then you're seeing the world of his mind that is rich and... But again, when he pulls away the curtain at the end, you see, you get this realization that he's been showing you this all along throughout the whole movie, and you never fully realized it outside of maybe a subconscious level. Yeah. God, and what's the first thing he must... that he gets to do once he leaves the asylum for the first time? He goes to the movie. Yep. Oh, I don't know what I don't even want to know what kind of amateur concoctions he's been drinking to try and make himself invisible. (laughs) Yeah. But hey, the apothecary woman liked his business, so she keeps selling him who knows what. (laughs) Yeah. And I love this. He's seeing, you know, he's thinking it'll be real, but if you look on the TV, you're seeing what he wants, you know. Exactly. Once again, Yodorovsky right here, he's telling you what you're seeing is actually in his mind. And then you get these brutal confrontations with reality. It's just, it's so well layered the way he bounces back and forth between reality and the world of Fenix's mind. Yeah. Another failed experiment. Poor Fenix. And then his mother, once again, the symbol for his pain and self-loathing, mocks him for having these aspirations. She tortures him for having natu- perfectly natural, healthy sexual feelings. He's just created this horrible shroud of pain and enslavement for himself that he just lives in until he's freed by his destiny, Alma, which, you know, they haven't been reunited yet. But nothing is nothing can be good until those two are together again. God. But when you think you're, you're, it, they are a pair. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Leave me the bullet this, is always, this has always cracked me up the way he dresses like a noir villain to go out to the apothecary. Claude Lane range. Yeah. And I love the fact that Joe Dworsky makes her beautiful without making her traditionally there's no traditionally beautiful woman in this whole film. No, not at all, but that's part of his love of 
humanity is that he sees everyone as beautiful and he, he's so good at conveying that in his films. Yeah. And he's also really good at showing you the pure ugliness of people. Yeah, the normal ones are the ones that are ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does that snake represent? If you don't understand what the snake represents, you're a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you don't get if you don't get this directive, a visual metaphor, you're too young to be watching this film. (laughs) Or you're stupid. I mean, that's I mean, you know, it's the most literal thing in the movie. Yeah, it really is. And I love that line. Yeah. Nothing. It was just a hallucination. <laughs> I'll be on my way now. <laughs> and we're back to Alma's quest to oh, find her destiny. Shit. And what was the name of the act? El Lunatico! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the lunatic. <laughs> All right there for you if you pay attention. Once again, nothing's wasted in this. Bonsha. Bonsha and her magic hand. Out Eric in his phoenix. He's not Concha, but he's saying he's the magic hand. <laughs> and yes, she was a real wrestler. I figured I figured this had to be a real wrestler. I love I Would love this little understand? moment where where uh she tells where the, the prostitute here tells the pimp what to say. So she says it out loud, and then he stands up and says it without words. So instead of him yelling out to, to where the people can hear, she talks, and then he is silent in order to convey farther away messages. That's weird moments like that. Yeah. El luchadora. <laughs> And I love those stairs. I'm sorry, but it's such a visual move that I just love it. Yeah. Prohibit though, you're free. Don't fuck with the wrestlers. No. So do you know much about? Basically says. Is that what it says? Do you know much about this? uh, This this uh, actor who played the the female wrestler here. Yeah, Um, I know a little bit about it. She was in WWE for a while. Really. Yeah. 
But he was too manly for him. Huh. I've always kind of wondered. And what is it with Joe Dawarski and manly women, literally? Yeah. You know, I I never knew much about this this person who played the saint because those are clearly latex boobs. And the the performer's name is simply S. Period Rodriguez. And I've never been able to find any more information on this 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 actor. So you're saying that would was does does this person in in real life identify as a woman? Yeah. Or was it a man that was hired to play a woman for the purposes of this wrestler? No, she he he she was actually a luchadora. Oh, okay. Didn't know. I've always been curious about that. Because there's such a there's such a, a like this this whole thing is like very cute and comedic. Their date here until of course it gets violent and scary. But I just I love yeah. the 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 dainty yet manly body movement that that she has. And then boom. <laughs> Another bottle. Hell yeah. This little this little baby step trot cracks me up every time. Yeah. This giant steps walking with these little He's dainty like, steps. Oh, there's no more booze. Oh, thank these. Yeah. Just keeps producing bottles it's out of his coat. <laughs> Well, you know the name Saint, and Saint means in Spanish or Mexico. Santa. Santo. And or Santo, yes, famous? depending on the gender. Yeah, El Santo. El Santo, one yes. One of the most famous Yeah, one of the most famous wrestling characters in the world. Yeah. And it's all just Fennec trying to break the spell. Like it's it's like his subconscious fighting, knowing that his arms are are the source of his problems, or thinking that his arms are the source of his problems. So if he can get this big, powerful woman to break his arms, maybe it'll break him out of the prison that he's in. But it's, of course, not that simple yeah. because, as we've already been shown, that true freedom comes from his reuniting with Alma. And she's yeah. the only one that could break away the veil or break the bars of the prison of his mind. I love the unladylike sitting here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This whole moment with the saint has always just been really interesting because it's, you know, played both comedically, it's played tenderly, 
it's played for horror and you know it's it's very important perspective on you know like I was just saying about how he's trying to find someone to save him and there's the symbol of the cult and it tells you a lot about his mother yes <laughs> aka fucking dead and yep. there's, and there's <laughs> the same thing as his tattoo yeah, right there on the chest. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, Yodorovsky doesn't fuck around, man. He doesn't do symbolism half-assed. Even when he himself doesn't fully, isn't able to fully articulate what it means, he he has such a great sensibility for feeling his way through it and knowing when and where to use these things. That, to me, is a master artist at work. Yeah. And look at her dress. Black and Black white. Black and white. Do I look ye? Yes. Yeah, he never wastes any symbolism. In that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good move, Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, poor Saint. Things do not end well for her. Break my arms. (laughs) There's a good wrestling move right there. Yeah. In fact, this is all classic uh, luchadore WWF movements here in this fight. Yeah, she she Saint was the one who choreographed. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Be easier. A film director choreographing a wrestling scene or a wrestler making it look good. Yep. Leave it up to the leave it up to the career wrestler. Uh oh. Uh, she's dressed up an Egyptian and he's an Arab and there's an Arab with a Mexican luchador killed and a with Japanese, a Japanese sword. A Japanese sword, yep. <laughs> Very multicultural. <laughs> yeah. But as you know, Yodorovsky is so fond of pointing out, the world is just full of symbols that that are used over and over and interconnect throughout the entire world, whether the cultures realize it or not, whether they're influenced directly from it or not. These same symbols exist in every yeah. culture. And you know what else I love? How much Joe Dworsky says, I don't, I'm not gay, I'm straight, I am macho man. But by God, I'm going to use gay symbolism in my movies every freaking chance I get. Oh, part of the duality of humanity and the multifaceted aspects of humanity and, uh, and of the soul, you know, to, if you read 
a lot of uh, Yodorovsky's, uh like comic books and novels, he frequently alludes to the perfect human being must be both male and female. It can't be one or the other. And, you know, like in the Metabarons, which is kind of his, his post-Dune failure version of Dune, he, you know, the, the, the prophecy revolves around the perfect hermaphrodite and the entire cultures uh, for generations yeah. and generations trying to create a man-woman that will fulfill the prophecy. So yeah. It's, and you say tomato and I say the incal. Well, yeah, Metabarons, Incal, all of that ties together. Techno priests, even uh, son of the son of the gun. I mean, all of these things tie together with Yodorovsky. They all take place in the in the ever expanding Yodorovsky verse, if you will. And people listening to this, I do yourselves a favor. If you like comic books, even in the slightest, read the Incal. And any any more Yodorovsky books you can get your hands on because that's where Yodorovsky found his outlet where he was able to tell the stories he envisioned without having to rely on the troubles of putting together a film budget. So he has made some huge, amazing movies on paper in the in the comic book world. And, in fact, the long-awaited sequel to El Topo is currently underway as a comic. The first two of the four volumes are out, Sons of El Topo. You can get them now. And if you've ever, you know, known the history of El Topo and wondered where the damn sequel was, now he's making it in comic book form. So get it because his comic and books are amazing. Calls, they're working on they're working on an animated movie out of it. They are. I'm so excited about that. Uh one of my favorite uh Yodorovsky comics is a uh standalone called Mad Woman of the Sacred Heart, which is uh very very much apart from most of his other comics which delve mostly in sci fi, but this is kind of like a real world story. And uh, all this stuff is in print from Humanoid Press. It's available in digital form. Basically, there's no excuse to not to not read these Yodorovsky comics. And the man's got so many great ideas that it's just done. a wonderful journey. And this is the scene here that really shows how many people that the killer killed without dragging it down, you know. Yeah, without basically turning it to, into a nonstop stock and flash movie. Just with this one scene, or, he tells you how long yeah. how long this has been going on and how much killing Fennec yeah, has done. Exposition without using exposition. <laughs> That's how a real storyteller and does if, it. Yeah. And... If you love the fifth element with Bruce Willis and stuff, say thank you, Jordorowski. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I love the movie, but that's as close as we're going to get to really 
Joe Dworsky was working on with Doom because it's a complete ripoff of the Encom. Yeah, it really is. A very simplified ripoff, of course. The impl- the implications and ever-expanding philosophies of the Encom are, are huge, so much so that uh, over the past decade or so, Yodorovsky has come back to the Incall and tell more stories about its main character, John DeFool. He did after Incall, before the Incall, black Incall, and there's there's so much there. But yeah, um, I, I don't think Luke Fasson ever could have done the Fifth Element without having the that influence that Yodorovsky and Mobius, the artist out into the world. It was a huge hit in Europe. Everybody knew about it. And that's what inspired Bassan in high school when he read the Incal. It just stayed with him and stayed with him and finally he made a big budget version of his own simplified imagining of the Incal. But yeah. again, Emphasis on simplified. As beautiful a movie as it is, it's kind of like a high schooler's version of the ink all. <laughs> yeah. And, I and don't, when don't they think I'm ripping on the fifth element because I love it. Oh, Lord, no. And and uh, I think uh, Joe Dworsky was towards uh, the fifth element the way that Leonard Cohen was to covers of his music. You mean his attitude of, people, toward other artists saying, sure, take take my ideas and see what you come up with. Is that what you mean? Yeah. A.K.A. They've done yeah. it better. He's like, there's been more people that have done better versions of my songs than I've done. Right. I like that attitude from an artist with so many ideas. And, and you know, the, yeah. the, the ones that Yodorovsky made will always be there. But sure, like, what did, what did Luc Besson do when he finally had a budget to start designing uh, The Fifth Element? He hired the artist who drew the ink all. He hired Mobius to do production design drawings. I mean, that's how heavy the influence is. Yeah. So if you're, if you're able to ever get a hold of the, the Fifth Element book that was released in France. It's a beautiful book and it has all the production drawings and all this behind the scenes stuff. You will see Mobius's design drawings for, for the fifth element and how much they resemble the work he did on the ink call. God forgives by, uh, Nicholas winding Refn. Yeah. There Look how much of the arm imagery that he mm-hmm. used for the main guy. Yeah. Punish me. Take my arms from me. And she's just, Alma here is just submitting and offering nothing but love. Oh, poor apothecary lady. <laughs> you know what? Escaping that from that house is the greatest thing that ever happened to you, lady. And him. Yeah. 
the moment where it all comes. The two destinies meet, and despite the fact that you could, it can be argued that the film ends in tragedy, but it also ends in pure freedom of the soul. This poor, tortured tragedy, person no, this is finally free. Next to uh, eternal poetry, this may be the happiest, happiest ending that the other work he's done. Yeah, but on a spiritual sense, There's because just visually, about freedom. Yeah, it, just visually, you know, you're saying, okay, the main character slash the hero is being arrested and is probably going to prison, but in Yodorovsky's film. It is a moment of beauty and freedom of the soul. And for the first time, this guy is no longer imprisoned. He's spent a whole life being imprisoned and in torture and pain. And, you know, it's not a tragedy that he's arrested and going to prison because his soul is free. He's he's, he's spent his entire life in a far worse prison, which is another interesting duality there from from his mental prison to a physical prison is, is actually a good thing in this, in this human being's progression of the soul. Yeah. Well, you remember how psycho three, well, and psycho, well, more psycho four and. Oh, you're going to have to refresh my memory. Psycho four was the one with the flashbacks and the radio DJ. Right. Yeah, and uh, he ends up slashing up the corpse of his mother, and he's finally free, free. Right. That's right. Here's where reali- reality comes crashing up. in. Well, it's more like it, it isn't what Joe Dworsky shows us. It's what he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Remember, and he it's wants interesting reality the way... to be as he remembers it, not as it happens. <laughs> Absolutely. He's very, very adamant about that. And it's interesting. And, and, and this is also a really great subversive nod towards cinema traditions and cliches. And in this particular case, usually when the main character is under some form of delusion um, throughout the film and then reality encroaches on them, it's usually a horrible realization and it ends in tragedy for the character, but it's the exact opposite in this film where reality intrudes upon this murderer and frees him. Finally, after all this time, frees him from the prison he's been in, in his mind. And, you know, the, the whole, everything you've seen up to this point was in the main character's mind. That's a very common cliche in cinema. But in this case, Yodorovsky actually offers something different with that well-worn horror cliche. Once again, horror film, kids. This is a horror film. (laughs) And when he showed this to the killer himself, he said that he walked out of the movie with tears in his eyes and said, thank you. And in the real case, the guy ended up married and living a normal life. Mm-hmm. But he never strange didn't take tale. blame for what he did. No, he 
he definitely acknowledged and took full responsibility. But the way Yodorovsky tells it, and I don't, I don't disbelieve him that the person started a new life and became someone else. Well, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it does tell have a link that tells the story of the real man that Jodorowsky based this on. Oh, I'm going to have to go read that because I've only heard secondhand information from either Yodorovsky or other articles, but I've never read the full tale of the, of the actual criminal case. Yeah. And remember, I've said it and you've said it too. Jodorowsky is a talker. Until it happens, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yep. And I say that in a loving way, not that he's a bullshitter. No, he just lives in the world of the mind and the imagination. And he is he is you know, there's all kinds of horrible stories about him, some of which he bred himself, but at the heart of it all once you start realizing who Yodorovsky really is as a person, he is a person full of love and compassion. And the, the only thing that he really truly hates is humans' cruelty to other humans. And himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at this. He, he, he frees himself, but, you know... And she's real. Mm-hmm. Love is real. She is real. <laughs> really, yeah. you know. And for the first time, he actually gets to experience the love that was torn away from him as a child. And it frees him. And if you remember, Anthony Perkins wouldn't have done Psycho for if he wasn't if they didn't let him give Norman Bates real closure. Oh, was that part of his stipulation for making that movie? Yeah. Oh, good. I I really enjoyed Psycho 4. I should go back and revisit it because I haven't seen it in probably 15 years. There's not such a... People are like, oh, for the, the... I have not seen a bad Psycho movie. Yeah, I'm particularly fond of Psycho 3. I really like that one. The one that Perkins himself directed. I really enjoyed Psycho 3. Oh, and how beautiful was that? Aladdin vanishes. That's just such a touching moment. And he's waving. A kiss of love. There's so much kindness and beauty in this movie. Yes, so much. And for, you know, what could be classified as a slasher film, as a, as a gore film, as a, as, uh, you know, all of these horror cliches are you really used to make something so beautiful and full of love and compassion. But that's one of the great things that the horror genre can do in the right hands. 
can be used for so much more than simply scaring people. Well, if you really look, what was the first genre that gay men, James Whale, gravitated to? Yep, horror. Horror. Yep, and James Whale is a great example because he was able to put his worldview into these stories and not be persecuted for it because he was subversively hiding things within these, but he was also very strongly expressing himself. Yeah. Here's the great line that <laughs> ends the film. Line. Put AKA up your my favorite. Yeah. This line right here. One of the best ending lines ever. My hand. Yes. My hand. Yes. My hand. You know. He just says that. Mm. That's all he needs to say. I mean, that, forget, that ties it all together. Yeah. And no, I stretch my hands to thee. My soul thirsts for thee like a parched land. Teach me the way I should go. For to thee I lift up your soul. Psalms, you know, I reach yeah. my hands to thee, Lord. And don't forget my favorite line. Well, I've never told you this. My favorite line from Bride of Frankenstein. What's that? Come out of the closet, dear boy. It's a lot more comfortable out here. <laughs> yes, I know. I love that line, too. <laughs> Once again, yeah. James Whale, man. Gotta love him. <laughs> well, now that is a freaking Halloween movie. Right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Such a beautiful multi-layered Diamond film. Boswell. You That's off to you, sir. Simon Boswell only did one. Holy shit, the executive producer. Did you see who executive produced this movie? Who? Rene Cardona Jr. Oh, yeah, yeah, I actually knew that. Yeah, he was one of the executive producers on the film. Yeah, Cardona! The the great Cardona. But, yeah, I love Simon Boswell's score for this film. You know, he's he's done some, some very, some wildly varying stories from, like, the hardware, uh, Shallow Grave, the first Danny Boyle film. I mean, he's he's been all over the place, yeah. but this is this is a really great, a really great score of his. But my favorite three scores of Simon Boswell, I just got a name, two names: Yoda Waterski, Richard Stanley. No sin. Yep. Yep. Respect. <laughs> Uh, this is a no very other movies like film. This one. You just look through this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it is, and it's so this interesting. Maybe the there's, most there's Mexican. A, what? There's a funny backstory behind this because this movie is so Mexican, but in order they had to jump through all kinds of crazy hoops in order to get the funding for this movie. It had to look like an Italian production. 
So that's why Yodorovsky doesn't have sole credit on the screenplay is because he had to turn in an, a, a screenplay in Italian in order to get this movie financed with Italian money. And that's why he chose, yeah. you know, like an Italian cinematographer and things like that. It was shot by uh, Daniel Nanuzzi, uh, by the way. Really great cinematographer. Um, but so despite the fact that Yodorovsky really did just write this movie himself, the the screenplay is credited to also Roberto Leone and Claudio Argento. And all they did was take Yodorovsky's script, translated it to Italian, and hand it to the financers so they could say, here's an Italian movie. Look, the script's in Italian. <laughs> and then they shot it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading a review of Dance of Reality that didn't understand that original, the opening speech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is your God. Didn't understand it? This is your prison. That's a beautiful movie. Yeah, everybody should watch Dance of Reality and Endless Poetry as well. Yeah, John's yard. But it is sad that he has only done really two movies, three movies after this. Mm Mm-hmm. Every one of his movies is easy to get in the United States. (laughs) That is done beautifully, except for the rainbow thief, which I do own. Yeah, you have the German Blu-ray, You own the same one I have. Yeah, absolutely. Which, if you want to see Christopher Lee at one of his best late performances. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I was always bummed, but I do understand why the uh, I, when the director's cut of The Rainbow Thieves got released on, on Blu-ray, I was really hoping for a commentary because I wanted to hear, because I've heard it in interviews, Yodorovsky loved working with Christopher Lee and fucking hated Peter O'Toole. <laughs> and he doesn't pull punches when he's talking about people that he found unpleasant to work with. And I'd always thought there would be some fun stories behind that, but alas, the German Blu-ray of Rainbow Thief just has the trailer. But we're lucky yeah. to get it, quite honestly. We were and lucky to get that Joe Dworsky's best comment too. What's that? Tusk and the Rainbow Thief are a film that a young man would hate. But as an old man, you appreciate every painting that you've done. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he used to brutally, brutally rip on both of those movies whenever they were brought up. But now he's got a little more hindsight and perspective on his life and isn't quite so terrible and we can only hope one day they'll find a uh, a good 
print of Tusk to remaster and release because that's the only one that's really missing. Oh, he's working on uh, doing that. Oh, I think he said music they to my found ears. Like about 15 or so prints of it. <laughs> and that he's and they're creating a composite? Yeah. Nice. Sometimes that's all it takes. That that's one that's one that I'm gonna rush for as soon as it's announced. Be done, cause even his autobiographical film, didn't he say about five or six films of it? Five or six films of what? That he had planned. That oh yeah of his autobiography. Yeah, he said he's got plans for five or six. He's got a third script already written if he can ever find financing for it. But he has such a rough time getting financing, but we can only hope that while he's still physically able to do so, that we can see him direct more films. I was a little disappointed for a lot of people. I think it was disappointing for Yodorovsky fans to see him make a new movie just last year and have it basically be a, spiritual infomercial for his meditation and psychomagic healing, but he does his own yeah. thing. He does what he wants, and, and psychomagic didn't cost a lot of money, so he didn't have to jump through a lot of hoops to get it made, so I understand why he made it. It's his worst reviewed film. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's, yes, it's not I'm a popular including movie. Including Tusk in the Rainbow <laughs> <laughs> Most of the reasons like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> and that's been from reviewers that have been Yodaworski fans. Mm-hmm. But what kills me is as someone who's a fan of his art, uh Endless poetry, and just when he really starts to get interesting as an artist. Yes, it does. It's such a tease. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I really, really want to see the next film that's planned for after that. I hope hope that Yodorovsky lives to show it to us. Because he's not a... a, I already know what the ending of the third film is going to be, and this should show you the time period where it's going to be. Where? The ending of the third... What? The ending of the third film is going to be another shot of him leaving for somewhere else, and then a man dressed in black leather walks out it says, oh, I am waiting for you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, the mole. The mole. El Topo. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, man, I hope he gets to make that movie. I guess only time yeah. will tell. If there's any if there's any ridiculously rich people listening to this, please get a hold of Yodorovsky and finance the movies. <laughs> Me and Brian talk about. I wish we would have 
donated to Endless Poetry's Kickstarter just so we could get a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I would have framed that mother and put it on my wall, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I was so bummed when I found out about that after the fact that, you know, he was he was doing a Kickstarter. I didn't know about it while it was happening, and I didn't find out until it had already wrapped. But it'd be an honor just to be somebody who threw in some cash on a Yodorovsky film. Now, that's really contributing art to the world. What we're talking about is, what did I have ever, I think, it was when Kickstarter was at its biggest. One of his perks was, a Jodorowsky dollar bill. On one side, it would have been personally signed by him with a piece of artwork by him on the front. That's one of the yep. things he didn't say that the movie was it, is that he designed all the tattoo work on the tattooed lady and that he did that all himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the man is definitely an artist unbound. There's very few like him in the world. Well, you know, well, I understand that insane passion. I really, okay, let's get into it. I have a screwed up liver. If I don't, if they decide next month when I go with an 11 that I don't get a transplant, well, I'm out of here. Oh, that's terrible. So, well, it isn't bad. I just understand that insane passion. And right now, it's like you were doing a lot more. Yes, I want to do more. Yeah. Yeah. Do everything you can while you can, because you never know how long you've got. And that's not just me. No, it's every damn one of us. So make it, yeah, make as much art as you can, right then. Hell, I'll look at how much I have done on my list. Mm -hmm. I did a podcast. Check. I wrote for a magazine. Check. 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 I work for a YouTube series. Yep. Yep. You just got to get out there and do it. Otherwise, you're just going to have, you're going to look back and have, and have a list of things you never did. And nobody wants that. Yeah. Uh, Nobody wants to look back and have a life of regret. Yeah.
And with that, the Halloween ritual is complete. Thank you all for listening throughout this month and especially throughout this week. Without you, I would be nothing. As we travel on these uncertain shores, remember, there is always art to be made. So go make it. And happy Halloween, everyone. Goodbye.